Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. So if you're watching this on YouTube, I am having a, a bit of envy here because, first of all, my man Jason Cutter is absolutely rocking an unbelievably great sport coat. I, man, and, and listen, comparing me to him, I mean, I, I, I'm going to have to just try to get through it the next little bit in this conversation. But Jason is the author of Selling with Authentic Persuasion. I love it because a chapter in my book, as we were talking before we started recording, is People by Authenticity. And Jason goes from helping salespeople go from hello to close and creating success using authentic persuasion. I absolutely love it, but we hope we give you a ton of intentional encouragement with Jason Cutter joining us on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Jason, what's good, man? How you doing? Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, not only did I put on a jacket, I have pants on. I am. I, I brought all of it for you. I'm excited for this. It's going to be super fun. Well, here's the thing, man. Pants are kind of a luxury right now in this in this thing, in this crazy, unbelievable time that we're in right now. But uh, but man, jeans always work. I mean, listen, yeah. you know, I, I have. Jeans and joggers are my go-to, man. You know, because you can <laughs> you can be business from from the top up and you can have comfort from the bottom down. I mean, it's there's there's nothing like it. I gotta ask you this as we start our conversation, Jason. I, I just I am so connected with authenticity and that word. And 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 again, I, I talked about that. That is just it's powerful. As you have been through and gone through this pandemic out on the West Coast, and we're, we're connecting some 2,500 miles away from each other, what has authenticity taken on this year for you in a different way than it hadn't in previous years? Because everything's different around this pandemic. You know, for me, one of the biggest things with authenticity is just under the umbrella of self-awareness. So being self-aware, being understanding of who you are, and, and, and who you aren't, and then putting that out there to the world. Um, you know, in that realm, I think it's really helped me, especially in this last year, with knowing who I am, knowing what my strengths are, and then being able to share that, being that person, show up in the meetings. I'm the same. Like this chatting here, what we were chatting before, you meet me on the street, we chat on social media. I'm the same person. I, I've always... Uh, I've always been the same person. I've always been bad at office politics, like trying to play all the sides. Like I, I, I always fail at that. Me um, too, man. It, really it, it, it sucks. And it, it absolutely sucks. I, I would have yeah. been, I would have been the guy that functioned in the actual, the, the TV show, the office that would have mm -hmm. been my jam like that. I, I could have really, I could have functioned well working for a guy like Michael Scott, as opposed to, you know, and I love that. And I love what you said there, man. I had to jump in there because. That is so true. Everybody thinks in, in this virtual world that we're living in today that everything has got to be so neat and so tidy and so polished and, you know, this box checked and that box checked. And, and I love what you said about being aware of who you 
aren't. Yeah. How hard is that for authentic people <laughs> to, to really tap into who they aren't? Well, and I would say that once somebody realizes who they are and they want to be authentic, then there's that whole part that's easier for them. Um, I'll tell you, for me, on my journey and the struggle I had in my head for the longest time was you know, putting myself down for who I wasn't and the path I wasn't on and what I wasn't doing in the framework of what I thought I should be doing, let's say in society. And, um, and then realizing, wait a second, that's not me. That's not my path. What I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing. Here's my strengths. Here's my value, like my value to others. Uh, and let me just go all in, you know, all chips in, in those realms, instead of worrying about what I'm not, what I'm not good at. And, and, you know, the, the, the negatives, if you will. Do you find the people that you work with, do you find it's hard for them to go all in on authenticity? Do you find that, that they, they are afraid of what will come out of their true authentic self? Yeah. I mean, obviously in the beginning of working with someone or a team sales organization, a company, you know, that's generally what's kind of happening with, with most of them and then helping them make that shift. And I think it's just a byproduct of all of us being human and this legacy piece in our brain that has not evolved as fast as our society has, that still thinks it's a long time ago when as a tribal society, if the tribe left you out, if you did something to screw it up, thousands of years ago and the tribe kicked you out of the group because you screwed it up or you did something wrong you're left by yourself in the wilderness you're toast you're done like there's no coming back from that right yeah. and so our brain still thinks that like if we do something that upsets the tribe we're going to get kicked out of the tribe of humans and i'll tell you we all know this we see it in the news there's a lot of people who do a lot of really bad stuff and they still don't get kicked out of the tribe of humans like you have to go really far but our brain doesn't realize it and so it keeps people from wanting to be authentic because they're afraid of, of just the, you know, the outside world too much. I love that. And I'm jotting that down the tribe of humans and the fear of getting kicked out of it. Because again, I think it goes back to the point, Jason, that you just made is that, you know, we're all, we, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. There's nothing special that you do in that process that I can't do and vice versa. Why do you think people are so afraid? Is it, is it if they get kicked out of the tribe of humans, do, do they think, okay, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Yeah. How, how is that? Because I've never heard it phrased quite like that. The, the, the fear, I love that, man, fear of getting kicked out of the tribe of humans. I think we should put that on a shirt. <laughs> the tribe of humans, you know, that's, 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 that's awesome. It. Yeah, what, what, take me deeper into that into that fear of, of getting kicked out of the tribe. I mean, if we look at, uh, you know, and I forget where I read this, so I, I can't give credit to it, but it was somebody else. It wasn't me. They said that we're born with two fears as a newborn, uh, fear of falling and fear of loud noises, right? And that's like to keep us alive long enough that we can stay alive long enough to procreate and do our thing, right? Other than that, all the other fears are learned over time. And if you think my about it, my mom's biggest now, fear was that she would find out that I belonged to her. That was my mom's. That was my parents' biggest fear is like, maybe, maybe they gave us the wrong kid at the hospital. You know, maybe it's, 
maybe it's that. And then as I got a little bit older, it's like, no, there's no denying. I think he's ours, you know. No, but you're, no. you're you're there. <laughs> that, that's funny. Um, you know, but if we look at fear, like fear of public speaking, which is usually rated number one over death, right? And I know we're going to probably talk about sales. We'll talk about all kinds of things. But, you know, that's at the heart of it, right? Why do people fear public speaking? Well, maybe something happened in school growing up, something happened, but you're afraid of being embarrassed or screwing up or being mocked, made fun of, like picked on, bullied, all of these things, right? Because if you do public speaking and are ridiculed and then shunned, that goes into that like being kicked out. And so people would rather die than public speak because they're just yeah. worried about that fear and that embarrassment. And that's the thing too is, is now there are more platforms that people just create for public speaking, kind of like what we've done here with the Intentional Encourager podcast, YouTube videos, Instagram videos, TikTok, things like that. There are, there are more ways to create that, that public speaking content than ever before but yet it seems like when folks get in front of a video camera or something <laughs> like that that fear seems to subside why do you think that people don't equate public speaking with what they're already doing and and when you when you kind of marry those two together jason how do you get your clients to realize it's all one in the same so uh, i think what's interesting is if you look at people's comfort behind a camera some people will get really comfortable with it. Some people won't because they'll still be thinking about it and judging it. Where it's interesting is to see someone who can record good stuff, make good content, but then doesn't actually share it. And the sharing it is that public speaking and opening yourself up to the ridicule. And I'll tell you, here's what I, I see and, and feel is that most people who are afraid of public speaking, even afraid of putting stuff on social media, stuff of posting their value that they have and putting it out there in the world, it generally comes down to some kind of imposter syndrome, which is I'm watching somebody else. They posted something. They have, a you know, that Kardashian has this many likes on their post and their videos look great. Their pictures look great. I can't do that. Uh, I posted one thing once and it was only got five likes. And so I'm a failure and I shouldn't do any more, right? Instead of looking at the evolution and seeing, you know, with somebody, somebody who you see as a master now, like they say, was once a disaster and yeah. it's just a progression, right? I love that going from master to disaster. And, and again, I, I, people watch this on YouTube They'll say, you're looking down, you're not looking at the camera. It's because I'm jotting this down. Jason is just <laughs> delivering the goods here. And Jason, you're exactly right. I think a lot of people get hung up in the volume of, of views and things like that mm -hmm. and to become an influencer that yeah. they have to, you know, to just build volume and build volume and build, build volume. And I've always kind of told people, look, the contrarian thought is if you are truly delivering value to your audience, you're speaking to them one-on-one -on -one as if they're sitting across the table from you. So you really ought to be worried about resonance over imposter syndrome and really mm -hmm. making sure that you're thinking that isn't that a part of being an authentic person and, and putting yourself out there authentically. 
Correct. And, and I think it also really depends on your intentions and the end goal. Do you want to be an Instagram influencer with millions of followers so that you can feel good because you have millions of followers? Or are you doing things because you want to help people or you want to share things or create value? And one's not better than the other, but you really want to look at what is your goal? If your goal, like for me, my goal is to help people sell more effectively, be authentic and change the way that sales is done. If that's the case, yes, of course, I'd love to have millions of followers. But if I I could get a hundred people to change and then those hundred people spread that to another hundred or if I get a thousand people or 10,000, yeah. like that's huge. And one of the biggest things I tell people to help with that imposter syndrome is the goal. And I heard this from somebody else a, a couple months ago. The goal is not for me or for Brian or for any of the listeners to have everybody in their tribe. The goal is for me not to have 8 billion people in the tribe, right? Despite what we think, we see this in the Kardashians, we see this in other people, yeah. <clears throat> we see that we see Amazon, right? We see how much money they have and how many employees. That's not the goal for everybody. Some people get to that point, but that's not the goal. The goal is for you to identify your tribe and then build your tribe. And then what happens is I affect my tribe positively. You affect your tribe with your special strengths and skills and God-given talents and what you bring to the table. And then Mary affects her tribe of a thousand people or however many. And if we all do that, we all lift up everybody in our yeah. own way and not have to worry about like, oh, I, if I don't have a million followers, I'm a failure, right? Like, no, just, just who's your group? Who can you help and support? Well, it, it, that's exactly it. Because again, the the old adage, "A rising tide lifts all boats," and and mm -hmm. and that's that's the thing that we come together is is that. And, and Jason, I'll, I'll I'll share some transparency with you and the listeners. The reason I started the Intentional Encourager podcast, I have a ton of sales experience, but there are an, there are amazing people out there that are friends of mine that are doing that and they're doing that so beautifully they're doing that, And so I want to be a cheerleader in the background for my buddies like yourself and Marcus Chan and Dale Dupree and Pat Tenney and, and, and all the sales guys out there that I could name that are buddies of mine, David Massover, all, all friends of mine. I wanted to do something that was kind of universal, like intentional encouragement hits sales. It hits leadership. It hits, a factory worker. It hits the guy digging ditches. It's the grocery store worker, a healthcare worker, politicians, things like that. That's why I wanted to focus on that because you're killing it in helping people sell more. God bless you, man. I just want to stand behind you and go, hey, Jason, man, go help, go encourage more people, man. Go encourage people that they can get better, that they can make their lives better and things like that. And that's why I wanted to do when you think about impact in authentic people, how resonant is impact in the, in the hearts and minds of authentic people? I, I think really that's the key and the goal. And really, you know, one of the things you could look at the definition of success in life or our purpose in life, right? Like we all, we kind of know our purpose. Some people have different definitions, but it's to me, it's to use what you've been given, what you've gone through, all of those things, the ups and downs, and then use that to empower, help, impact, transform other people, and then share that with them and then help, let's say going back to the tribe, right? And going back to the tribe and then impacting, like my biggest word and what I focus on is, is transformation. How do I help someone 
transform. And then recently, it's funny because I've been, I've been working on my own mission statement. And part of it that really resonates with me is leaving like the, the Boy Scouts model from a long time ago, leaving it better than you found it. For me, it's mm, leaving yeah. people better than I found them, whether it is at the grocery store smiling and being nice to the person who's checking me out and just like leaving them in a better state than I found them, even if they were pissed. And then now I'm leaving them with a smile. Um, maybe it's just, you know, helping someone be effective in their career or giving someone advice. And so for me, that's, that, that's the whole point of it all. 100%. Let's pause and take a quick break. Back with more in just a moment here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Jason, I, I want to, I got to go here now with you and, and I would be remiss if we didn't, we didn't go here for just a few minutes. Let's talk about selling with authentic persuasion. Give me the impetus behind it. Uh, man, one of the most powerful titles I think I've seen in a long time because, again, as I mentioned to you off the top, authenticity really resonates with me. And what you, I love what you said about being that person who's the same everywhere you meet them. And, and I say this, I hope people that meet me on LinkedIn or Facebook that, that listen to this podcast that have followed me, I hope they leave and say, Brian, you're a better guy in person than I ever thought you were on <laughs> online. That's that's the number one goal. So take me through how you how you walk through this process and, and the impetus behind your book. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things and the best place to start is that most people fall into sales and it wasn't a lifelong goal. They weren't playing salesperson as a kid. Now there's some people who were, right? There's the Dale Dupree's of the world. And he and I have become friends over the last couple of years and I've seen his journey and I love what he does. Um, you know, he was a kid. His dad was a had a copy sales business. He was a teenager making cold calls, knocking on doors. Like he grew up in that. Yeah, Most Dale and did. I. Yeah, Dale and I connected through our through our dads. Our dads had a heavy influence on us as salespeople. His dad was a, a longtime salesperson. My dad was a longtime salesperson. That was the, <laughs> the connecting rod that brought us together. So I, mean, I have to mention Dale's a special yeah. guy in, in my life. Uh, a dear, dear friend wrote the forward to people buy from people. And, um, and I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but no. I, I just, I, I wanted to, to give props where it's due. When, when you meet authentic salespeople, What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it excitement? Is it is it awe? What what comes 
what comes to mind when you meet that person? You go, man, this is you're exactly the person that I wrote about in my book. I, I get excited and then I just want to collect them all like, let's say, baseball cards and just have this collection of people as we all are impacting it. You know, that's one of the biggest things with Dale. And, and this goes back to what we were talking about with the tribes and the imposter syndrome. It would be very easy for me to sit here and go, Dale is a success. Dale has this movement. Dale's got this mission, you know, from a kid and then everything that happened with his dad. And, and that would be, you know, I, I could put myself down for that. Um, but. I want everyone to affect their tribe. And Dale has a certain message. I have a certain message. He has a certain audience. I have one. You have one. Like there's enough for everybody. From an abundant standpoint, I love to lift up and support everybody who some people might see as competitors, but there's more than enough, right? There's more than enough. Um, and then, you know, as when I meet those people and salespeople and organizations that are doing it in a way that vibes with me, again, I just want to collect them all because if we can all collectively improve the way sales is done, customers, potential customers will stop hating and fearing the experience they're worried about having with salespeople. Jason, I love that. And I have said in, in, in many times, and I probably sound like a broken record, but I've said this enough to, to, to say this. I say, look, people buy connection before they ever make a transaction. You are never going to sell anybody anything until they can emotionally connect with what you have to sell or, or the person that's selling it to them. Because even at the base level transaction, and you and I were talking before we started recording, I went over to Walmart and picked up some things. I had already in my mind connected with the, the products that I wanted before I ever made a transaction. I made a list. I said, okay, we're going to buy, for instance, we're going to buy, uh, I drink Lipton hot tea. So I knew I was going to get a couple boxes of Lipton hot tea. I connect with, connect with that. That's what I use. That's what I do. So before I ever made a, a transaction, I had already in my mind connected the products that I was going to go ahead and buy. And, and I love what you said there. Brands like that, and salespeople can become great brands Understand the way that you connect with products yourself and then bring that customer to that experience. Why are you think we're missing authenticity in sales today? Uh, um, a couple of reasons. One is that organizations, companies fall in love with what they sell and they, they assume that everyone will want it and they get disconnected from actually caring about what the end user will want or need or the experience they'll have. And you see this a lot. Like I love to use this example, at least back when it was legal, going to a trade show or a conference, going to the expo hall, walking up to a booth and somebody in the booth, before you know it, it's been three or four minutes and all they've done is elevator pitch features and benefits. And they literally don't give a crap about you. They might not have, they might've asked you one question to check the box and then moved on with their pitch. And you're standing there going, this, this is, I don't want this. This doesn't help me. I'm not a good fit. Yeah. Um, it's because they just go into this mode and then they just go on autopilot or they've and they got trinkets. That's what sales is. Yeah. Or Jason, or they've got trinkets on the table Yeah, or they've got the, the shiny objects on the table that they go, Hey, you know, or you go, man, I need an ink pen. That's a cool looking ink pen they got on their table. Right. 
And and to get that ink pen, you stand there for three or four minutes and listen to, as you said, the elevator pitch, or they've got mm-hmm. a, a baseball cap or something like that. I did that at a uh, a motorcycle show. I went to a motorcycle show in Indianapolis, a company I was working for at the time, and I was like, I I need one of those book bags. They had like a cool book bag, like I wanted. I mean, it was cool, and I think my son still has it, and and we used it. I would have listened to them talk for 10 minutes about something. I just wanted the book bag. I could have cared less what they were talking about. I love what you said there. Why do you think, so let me go a little deeper with this conversation. How do we get companies, how do companies get themselves out of falling in love with what they sell instead of being their authentic self and who their product really fits? Um, Coming from a place of abundance coming from a place of understanding that they don't necessarily need every single person to buy from them, that there's a right group of people and that the world dominance and world domination isn't, isn't the only path, right? Again, you look at these behemoths, you, you, and I live in California. I grew up in, in the Cal in San Francisco Bay area, Silicon Valley. I go down there at least pre pandemic networking meetings, venture capital, like literally real world shark tank where there's a room full of people with money and somebody gets up front and says, here's my company and I need money. And literally look around and you see the dudes with money, like in person. Um, because they all want to be that next unicorn. They all want to be that next beast. And they yeah. think everyone will want what they have. Uh, and then they get disconnected from the, here's who we serve. Here's who we don't serve. There's enough people on the planet. Kind of like that conversation with, uh, about Dale and I, here's who he serves. Here's who I serve. Um, and it's either a good fit for me or not. If I had yeah. somebody that wasn't a good for, fit for me, I'd literally refer them to him. And it's coming from that place where it, it's really comes down to empathy. It's, I care about you as a human. I want the best thing for you as a human yeah. that may or may not be what I'm offering. Let me ask you something. When you get in that room with, with people, the, the VCs out, out in, Silicon, in Silicon Valley, is it easy for you to tell the authentic people from the inauthentic people? And how do you do it? It's I don't want to give away the secret sauce, but but I, I can I can picture the room. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing in my mind, and hopefully the, the audience is picturing people. He just said, you can tell that the, there, there, are, there are serious investors. There are people that want to to make a nice return on investment. They want to be in the ground floor of the next big thing, the, the unicorn. So how is it for you? Can you, How do you tell the inauthentic people from the authentic people? And, and what's the differentiating point? Um, you know, you can, it's, I don't know, maybe it's just, you can sense it. Um, you know, when it opens up to questions or you meet some of them, it just depends on what they're willing to invest. And if they know what they want to invest in, and if they're investing in the person, the company and the outcome, and they care about what it does, or do they just care about the bottom line and it doesn't matter what it is, right? Like I'm going to invest in the stock. I really don't care the outcome versus I want to invest in this company buy their stock because I care about them and I want to support them. Those two different things. And, and, and I think the key is though, is neither of those are inauthentic or authentic or more authentic. They're both authentic and real. Some people, maybe they just don't have the empathy or care about the business and it's, it's all, you know, numbers for them. Um, so that's the tough part is it could be completely authentic, might not vibe with me, but it's authentic for them. I love that, man. And, and that's the thing is, you know, those guys are there. There's some people, to your point, there are some people that connect with the mission of the company. 
Mm-hmm. I am all in on the mission of the company. I love what you guys do. I love what you stand for. It resonates with me. I'm all in. I'm going to invest. And there are some people go, but wait a minute. Um, you know, if I have to, you know, they, they won't cross a certain equity point. They'll, they'll, they'll say, well, if I can't get in at this amount of equity for this investment, I don't care. You know, I may resonate with your mission, but, but they, they're a certain type of investor themselves. And so I love that, man, that you, you really brought folks into the real world scenario of in, in two minutes. I love that you just painted that picture of this is what it's like. If you guys really want to know what the real world shark tank is like, (laughs) you just beautifully did that. Jason, let's step aside, take a quick break. I want to get into your story, man. Reading your LinkedIn profile I am just, I am salivating to to tell your story. Back in just a moment here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper, and more powerful connector, you've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Back from People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Jason, you have got an incredible, remarkable story. And I want to lead you here with this sentence from your profile. I can still remember sitting in the car dealership lobby watching TV, (laughs) restless without any idea when the painful process would be over. The first time this happened was when I was 10 years old. I love that, man. I was sitting there. I was riveted. And you're like, <laughs> it happened when I was 10. Like, like yeah. I remember being with my mom and dad car shopping going, is there anything more God awful that we could be doing? Take us through your story, man. Point A all the way back to, to present day. So it, 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 we started talking about it earlier and, and uh, I love sharing this because again, this kind of goes back into, we went on a, on a path, but you growing up with a, a dad that was in sales and business, Dale growing up and many others, like I know lots of people who did grow up as a kid selling lemonade, selling things, selling candy, selling whatever they could to other kids because they love to sell. Um, my mom, before she retired, was in banking and finance, so super analytical. My dad, before he retired, was in engineering and then moved his way up to program manager and director, all under engineering and 
and creating and design. Um, so I have two analytical parents. My mom as the banker saw lots of issues uh, when I was a kid, when she first started working in banks, a lot of fraud, a lot of scams, a lot of problems. Her first job before getting in banking, she worked in the back office of a furniture store. So she heard the sales reps come in all the time to the back talking about the kind of things they did to the customers that came in. And I don't mean good things. I mean, bad things and yeah. how much they charged them and the terrible stuff they did to them in the seventies and just you know, just, just tear what you would imagine and hate as a customer. That's what they, you know, joked about on the, in the back. Right. So fast forward. Um, I, so I say this stuff because, uh, a lot of people see someone like myself or yourself and think, okay, I've always been this way. I was a shy, awkward, only child, late bloomer who was bullied, uh, with two analytical parents, one of which my mom hated salespeople hated, hated salespeople. And so those adventures, once they started making a little more money and we could afford a new car instead of just a used car, every two years, it was in a dealership, usually on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, my mom reminded me after I told her a couple months ago, um, you know, some of these stories, uh, we bought a forerunner, they bought a forerunner, uh, nine hours in the dealership one day, in, in one day, nine hours straight, um, just that battle, my mom versus every single person they could throw at my mom. Um, and I just sat there in the lobby watching one of three channels as a kid, you know, in the eighties. Um, and just, yeah, no, you know, iPad, no, yeah, no iPad, no cell phone. My son has been there. My, my, I have a 20 year old son and, and, and when he was a kid, he would do that. And, and I can still see him like, how much longer are we going to be here? How long are we going to be here? I'm bored. Yep. And you're like, hey, buddy, we'll take you to get you some ice cream or we'll take you to get you this or that. It worked up from ice cream to like a video game. Like the longer it went on, like the more, yep. like this car is already, already costing us money. And now we're adding gas to the fire because we got to pacify our kid. I love that analogy. Keep going, please, man. I, I, I did not mean to, to jump in there. No honestly. worries. And, and I'll tell you, it's funny because one of the <laughs> happy memories from my childhood, I do have lots of happy memories, but the one that stands out when I think about this portion of my life is when I was old enough to stay home alone and I didn't have to go on that car adventure. I still remember the day. I remember the house we lived in. I remember my parents leaving and coming home like five hours later. And I had a friend over and all we did was rode bikes as a teenager. And I didn't have to go. And they came home with a new car. It was amazing. So anyway, so that was my upbringing. That's what I did. I didn't want to deal with people. I didn't want a job dealing with people. I didn't want to have to interact with the public. Uh, I was basically taught that the, you know, the public is bad and you don't want to deal with them. Um, so I went to college, got my bachelor's degree in marine biology, tagged sharks for a few years, started working at a restaurant. And I, I worked at a restaurant as a busser, not even as a waiter. Cause I'm like, I don't, I definitely don't want to deal with hungry people. I'll just clear plates, but I definitely don't want to talk to hungry people. Um, and then I found out I was actually really good at it. So I started waiting tables and I did really good at that. Um, and now then hold I up, fell Jason, this, hold yep, up, Jason, yep. you had a throwaway line in there. <laughs> I tagged sharks. Yeah. After after getting a degree in marine biology, dude, how do you just slip that in there? Like <laughs> like I tagged sharks, uh, man. So you know I'm gonna ask you about that. Yep. What was that? What was the decision around choosing marine biology as as a degree field, pursuing that degree, and and what's one thing that you learned about tagging sharks that applies to sales? Okay. Um. 
So the inspiration and the desire to go into it was I had a biology teacher. It was a general biology class and it was in high school. And one of the segments was on marine biology and dissecting and then going to an aquarium. And, and then he was one of those teachers that like inspires you. Everyone has kind of one of those teachers that gets them excited. Um, he actually was a member of, uh, of an aquarium in San Francisco. And there was this top shark expert at the time who was speaking there. My parents actually let me go with him one night to listen to Dr. John McCosker. I still remember his name. Uh, speak. Uh, he even actually paid for the book because I didn't have any cash and bought his full colored shark book. He signed it. My parents reimbursed it. Like this is back when you could trust teachers and and adults and all. You know, back in the day when you could trust people. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you would never do that now. Hey, yeah, no, you're you're 14. Why don't you go with your teacher to San Francisco for the night and uh, we'll see you later? And nobody has cell phones, so yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Right, like that's not a thing. Man, that is brilliant. That is so good, man. Uh, that is and a so teacher good. who's like, "I'll spot you the fifty bucks on this because I'm sure your parents will pay me uh, when I when I to drop get a shark off, book." Right? Yeah, to get yeah. a shark book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Autographed by this this world leading expert. So anyway, so that's what started it, and then I just started doing more of it um, in community college. I was I got a fish tank, and I was really into fish and all these things. I actually spent a couple of years cleaning fish tanks for a living, like. Chinese restaurants, lawyers' offices, doctors' offices. You were the original Deuce Bigelow, man. You were the original uh, Deuce Bigelow going around cleaning sorry. fish tanks. Yeah, not, not, not quite that suave, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, this is this is, folks. This is why we dive into these stories. No pun intended. This is why there we, we dive into because Jason, I think it's brilliant, and and I and and again, I we'll get into what you learn tagging sharks and sales, sure. but it, it's so funny. Your life has, I can see your life playing out around the premise of your book. Yeah. You, you have not done the traditional things that oh, people no. have done. And that's the beauty of authentic people is man. They are just so unique in everything that they do their experiences are unique their personality is unique their mm -hmm. their way of thinking is unique and that's what lends itself to authenticity is is the fact that that you just you just say to yourself i am going to be who i am i, I love what i am and who i am and i love you're i'm just listening i'm soaking all of this in just listening to you and i'm going i 100 percent see now why you why you talk about selling with authentic persuasion it's it's 100 who you are and it, it it's just been a byproduct of where, where you where you've come from in your life so what did you learn about sales from tagging sharks so before i get into that one of the things yeah. that's interesting is why authentic persuasion resonated when i put those terms together and really put it because for the longest time until my late 30s i i i was embarrassed and beat myself up by my windy path that I didn't go to college, get a degree, go get a job, have a family, buy the house, do the thing, the American dream model that doesn't really exist for most people anyway, but in my mind, and not even from my parents. My parents weren't pressuring me saying, when are you getting married? When are you doing this? I internalize this from somewhere else. So like my parents have always been supportive of what other, whatever crazy ideas I come up with. Um, but uh, that's the biggest thing is I, I 
I was embarrassed. I was shy. I didn't like to tell anybody any of these stories because it, I felt like I was a failure versus the standard model. And then I realized, wait a second, all that stuff has made me able to talk about anything with anybody and be powerful and, yeah. and also persuasive. So back to sharks, because I know we'll talk about that stuff as well. You know, I think the biggest thing is the, if I had to relate tagging sharks with salespeople is you know, understanding the the underlying motivation. And then I think also, you know, you can't, can't not say it, uh, understanding the business end and also what happens if it goes sideways, if it goes wrong, right? Yeah. Like if you don't keep your hands, <laughs> you know, you gotta know, you gotta know which end of the salesperson is the business end and, and what happens if you, uh, you know, turn your back on the ocean, uh, you know, that's, it's key. I love that, man, because again, you know, and I've said this before too, to me, the most sensitive mechanism in the world is a customer. And, and so you have to understand when you're tagging that shark, I can, I can just imagine that it, it's sometimes in the sales process, we try to get a customer from zero to a hundred in less than three seconds and go, oh, okay, well, yeah, they're, you know, I got to go fast to get them to close before they really find out what I'm doing. Yeah. And I can almost feel like, that when you're tagging a shark, it's like, listen, this thing, if it senses that there's fresh meat, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's probably going to be, uh, I'm going to be the late Jason Cutter. And, and so it's like, you got to really figure out how that shark moves, what, what, what happens, how they, their, their patterns to where you can do what you have to do and, and just, just kind of say, okay, I'm not here to disturb your, your ecosystem. I'm not here. I, I just, but I have a job to do and things like that. And so, man, I, I love that, that depth there that you just talked about. Well, and I think the key too is, is one of the things with tagging sharks, depending on the size, because there's some different rules that apply for different size sharks. Um, but you got to understand if, if you're going to go in fast and hard with a shark, just like you would with a customer, then you've got to be fully aware and prepared for the danger that comes out the other side, right? Mm, yeah. um, so for example, like uh, one of the things we would do is we would tag blue sharks out in the middle of Monterey, Santa Cruz Bay. Um, you know, obviously you've got your, your prospecting, your marketing, which is hanging the bag of uh, like fish bits and waiting for them to school around. Sometimes 20, 30 blue sharks ranging from three to five feet. Well, the strategy with those is you literally lean over. Here's me at 19 years old, leaning over the boat and grabbing a four foot shark by the head and the tail with my hands and picking them up and putting them in the boat. No net no pole, no hook, just literally picking up this shark out of the water. Um, and then a couple of people holding it down and wrestling it yeah. uh, because you did that. You can't do that with an 18 foot gray white, right? Like you're just coaxing it and then you're just playing its game uh, and, and hoping it stays around for a while. Yeah. It's, it's their world. You're just, you're just trying right. to survive in it. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing, Jason, you, I, I love what you said a minute ago about getting into your thirties and kind of beating yourself up for not taking yeah. the traditional path. Tell me the, the pathway that led into you getting into sales and sales coaching, because you mentioned this earlier to analytical parents. So again, <laughs> yeah. non salespeople, you grow up in a very structured environment, analytics, you, your mom has a negative perception of sales anyway, from being in the furniture mm -hmm. industry. And so now you, you get a marine biology degree, you, you wait tables and you find out, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good at this. I can do this. Was that the, was that the impetus 
that led you there? Or what was, what was that yeah. aha moment where you went, ah, it's sales. I, now I figure it out. So that was, let's say, 1998, 1999. My aha moment with sales came in 2007, 2008. Now, so for the kids bit- listening out there, that's pre-smartphone. We didn't get smartphones until what Jason said about 2006. There was actually a day you could sell without a smartphone, guys and gals. I, I, yeah, I did. I did it. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's crazy. So, um, I got my bachelor's degree in marine biology, UC Santa Cruz, great school, had years of tagging sharks during college, uh, was doing scuba diving for fish and game, like projects under, under the school and stuff like that. Um, only job I could find in the area was scrubbing boats for fish and game for $8 an hour. And I couldn't get the job. I interviewed for it a couple of times. They gave it to a master's student. So I have a bachelor's degree, years of experience, can't get a job, $8 an hour washing boats. Uh, and I was willing to live in my Volkswagen uh, near where that was. And instead of waiting tables and everything else, just to make that happen, I couldn't even get it. And I was like, what do I do now? I don't want to go to grad school. Like I was burnt out from school. I was lost. I, 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 I called it burnt out, but I can tell now it was because it wasn't really my path and I could, I can feel it now, but at the time I just wasn't sure. Um, ended up moving up to Seattle with uh, my girlfriend at the time. She got into grad school. I thought, Hey, I'm good with people. I'm going to, I like computers. So let me get a job at Microsoft doing tech support. That makes total sense. I have a marine biology degree. Let's do that. And so I got a job as a, as a contractor, worked at Microsoft for two years, realized I didn't like that. It didn't, uh, it didn't excite me. I didn't care. Um, and then that's when I ended up in the mortgage business, which at the time wasn't about sales. Uh, that was pure order taking. It was the height of the housing boom, uh, 2002 to 2004. You're just handing out money. Um, so I didn't learn anything about sales until I started dealing with people who were in foreclosure and getting them to pull their head out of the sand and do the right things to keep from being homeless. That's when I learned sales. Wow. That is amazing. And, and, and here's the reason why. Because salespeople traditionally are working with customers that are supposedly well-established and well, you know, working with companies like that. Cutting my teeth in the food service industry, I, I am thinking about restaurants that I called on that literally were were nickel and diming their way through the week to week, you know. And, and so, yep. yeah. I totally get it. And, and you're, you're wondering, it's like, okay, is this the week they shut down? And, and you, the same thing with people in foreclosure. What was the one thing that was that moment where you said, this is where I can truly help people in this industry? Because I got to think that people in that industry, Jason, the customer bases were like, my God, I'm drowning. I have yeah. no idea what's going on. What was that moment where you go, I can help these people. I can impact these people. The the first few times sitting down with a homeowner who's, at the, and this is Washington state, there's all kinds of uh, rules for foreclosure. You can go for a while without it. In some states, it's much faster. But sitting down with somebody who hasn't made a payment in nine months, thinks they should keep their house. They have no job. They can't afford it. They couldn't afford it when they bought the house anyway. It was all just uh, over overextended in loans they couldn't afford. Um, and literally walking them through the process of realizing that and then being there to help them and caring about their outcome. Um, 
and like realizing like the impact and what that does. It's kind of why I left the mortgage business. I'm like, okay, I'm helping people get into debt, but that doesn't feel fulfilling. I know some yeah. people make a lot of money. Yeah. They do really well selling things to people that, you know, they might want. For me, I was just like, that doesn't, that didn't, that didn't feel as fulfilling and as fun. So I left it. Yeah. Um, and then was like, let's help people in foreclosure and being able to do that and impact people where literally you're helping somebody over the phone or in person and they're crying because they're so grateful for the help. Yeah. That's where it was like, okay, this is, this is a whole different game. This is, and I, I like, I don't even know when I thought I was doing sales, even into that career. Um, but I still didn't view it as sales because I thought sales was the gross, icky car furniture terribleness that we all hate. I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I, 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 I don't think it's sales because it doesn't feel gross. Wow. And, 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 and I'm writing, forgive me, folks, I'm writing this down <laughs> because again, you know, when, when we think about what traditional sales has been it's been well you got to push you got to push I, I jason i was talking i got to go here for just a minute i was talking to a friend of mine the other night and he's invented a product he's had it for years and he calls me and he says i need some help and he said i, I want to make this thing go i want it i want it i i feel like i really need to push it and i said there's your problem quit pushing mm -hmm. your product mm-hmm I said, and, and I told him what I said to you earlier, people buy connection before they ever make a transaction. And I said, you've got to pull people to your product. Yeah. I said, when you push, when you push something, you put your arms out. You when when you when you put your arms out and you're pushing something, you're literally pushing people away. When you when you connect, you pull people close to you and yeah. they feel that connection. And so I love what you said there about it, it feeling gross and icky. That was the perception. Until yeah. when you when you really got to help people and it was like, these people get to keep their house because I helped them. Yeah. Or these people could move into a house they could afford and leave that that bad mistake behind and I could help them. Take me through the biggest obstacle professionally or personally that you have dealt with in your life and what the lesson was that you used when you overcame it. What the lesson you got uh from it. Um, you know, I would say the biggest obstacle that comes to mind is starting my consulting business. So a little over two years ago, end of 2018, my, the company I was at closed, I had wanted to be a consultant. I had gone back to school online. I had gotten my MBA, uh, and that was my plan, but I wasn't necessarily planning for that moment. So I essentially said, okay, I guess now's the time to start being a consultant with no clients, no pipeline, uh, no materials, nobody ready to hire me, um, very little money at the time due to some other circumstances. And, uh, and it was tough. I actually didn't make a dollar for the first six months, but I felt like this was what I was meant for and what I was going, like, this is where I should be at this moment in my life, right? Life changes. Can't talk about like big purpose and what my whole life's going to be like. But right now I was like, I got to do this. I was working on the book and I, when I was employed and then unemployed, I started my podcast unemployed. I was like, I don't care. Like I have this thing inside of me that I have to get out and then make it happen. And then it started to click. I'm still in an evolution. It's still every day is like a new discovery about myself and clients. But um, yeah, that was a big obstacle to just 100% on faith, uh, you know, manifesting support in all ways I could until 
magically in one day, two different people said, Hey, we want to hire you. Uh, one sent me to the Caribbean. One sent me to San Diego a couple weeks later. And I was like, okay, I think this might work. So yeah, that was a, that was a big one. Man. Oh man. I, I love that because I think people, Jason, as they hear you talk and they say, man, I'm right there. I feel like I'm right there where you where you were at. I haven't made any money. I've just, I've been putting blood, sweat, and tears into this. And man, that is so good. Leave the audience today with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. As we just mentioned, there might be somebody that's right there, man, that, that just are just like, Jason, what you just said resonated with me. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement? You know, I, I think... I think the biggest piece, you know, of being intentional is going back to what I said, which is leave people better than you found them. Figure out what your God-given talent is, your skills, your abilities, and your experiences, especially the hardships. What are some things where life it just knocked you down and beat the crap out of you? You survived and came out the other end. How can you use that to help other people? What value does that provide to others? Um, because that's, I mean, no pain, no gain, right? Like once you have those muscles, then you can help other people. I've been in some financial situations. I can help a lot of people. So that's the biggest key. And then do that, find your tribe and, and focus on the value. Dude, I love this, man. This has been such good conversation. Tell folks where they can find selling with authentic persuasion. Tell folks how they can connect with you. What are the best ways to find you and connect with you? So the simplest thing is to go to jasoncutter.com. So that's a hub for everything from the book to the podcast, to LinkedIn, to my email, to my website, to my other website. Uh, so jasoncutter.com is super simple. The book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion, is on Amazon. You can also buy it directly. So if you go to that website, you can find it directly. Um, and I'll sign it. I'll send it to you if you want a signed copy. Or you can go to Amazon. It's on Kindle. Also Audible. So I had the fun experience of recording a, a whole lot of audio for the book. They can I'm in there. that process now with people buy from people and and i can tell you i was like i thought i was was pretty good at this stuff doing podcasts and live radio yeah that's <laughs> it was it's so draining and i do I a lot of podcast stuff and i do a lot of interviews but reading from the book and wanting it to sound good it came out to five and a half hours of content which means it took a lot more than that to make it um so that's available for people who want to listen and then i'm most active on linkedin so if you go to linkedin yeah. you search for me uh when in doubt i'm the number one drank, uh, ranked jason cutter on google so if you just google jason cutter you'll you'll find me i'm at the top you know what, man? It's much better than being Brian Sexton from the Irish School of Dancing. If you if you Google Brian Sexton, I, I guess there's a dude in New Jersey that that is is like the Michael Jordan of of Irish dancing. He's like the goat. And so, you got to work on your SEO game, Brian. You got it. Took me a couple <laughs> years. It took. I had a podcast guest and he was the number one Rob Howes and I was jealous because I was like number three. So I just, that's why I do five day a week podcasts. That's why Jeez. I do interviews. I, you know, number one. I that's have it. a friend of mine that, that is a sponsor on this podcast that will actually love to hear you say that, you know, there he's you like, you know, he, he will love that. Jason Cutter, man, this has been a blast. I appreciate you joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks for having me. This was super fun. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his words.
If you enjoyed this episode, you'll enjoy all the other episodes of the Intentional Encourager podcast, releasing each Tuesday and Friday. You can get those by subscribing wherever you get podcasts. Until next time, remember, anyone, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.